the most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Zneimer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Bob Comsick. Good afternoon and welcome to the Saturday edition of the best of Fight Back from the week that was. Jody Wilson-Raybould was the focus of attention on Parliament Hill at an extraordinary session of the Commons Justice Committee. MPs and Canadians heard the former Justice Minister and Attorney General testify on pressure from the government to abandon the criminal prosecution of SNC-Lavalin. Wilson-Raybould accusing Justin Trudeau and senior staff of hounding her for months to intervene in the criminal case. The Prime Minister saying he's reconsidering her future in the Liberal Party, saying that he took totally disagrees with her take on events. Conservative leader Andrew Scheer calling for Trudeau's resignation, as well as an investigation by the RCMP and NDP leader Jagmeet Singh asking for a public inquiry. Libby Snymer spoke with New Democrat Murray Rankin, vice chair of the Commons Justice Committee. There was an enormous amount that surprised me, but I can tell you, and I invite any of your listeners to watch the testimony or listen to it, uh, I, this struck me uh, after many, many years being a lawyer and listening to a lot of witnesses on the, in the box, as it were, as, as a very, very credible person, a very honest, straightforward, and obviously courageous person to do what she did. I mean, she exposed an attempt, an incredible, relentless attempt by the political people at the top of our political system to change her mind that she made as an independent uh, legal officer, our Attorney General of Canada, and she said no, and she said no, and she said no, until finally she had to tell him to please back off, and eventually after threats and bail threats and consequences that were being explained to her, she basically no longer found herself in cabinet, and I think she spoke the truth yesterday. You don't interfere with the administration of justice. Let me explain it to your listeners in very simple terms and why this is so important. You know, if I get charged with something and I'm an enemy of the government, they're going to go after me if they politically can, even though the attorney general or the you know prosecutor might not think the charges are warranted. And away I go to court anyway. Um, that's what happens in some places that aren't democracies. I call them banana republics and places like that. That's not the Canada that I love. That's not the Canada that we take for granted in terms of the civil liberties and rights that we have. This is a very, very big deal. I mean, if you believe her, and I do, then she's saying to us, that people all around Prime Minister Trudeau, from the top of the public service to the top political advisors, browbeat her relentlessly until she cut a deal and did something for partisan purposes in one province, Quebec, and that therefore we should just, you know, you should just suck it up and do what you got to do or, or you're not part of the team. And that's not how it works. And she said no. She said no. What she also said was that there was nothing illegal here. Do you agree with that? That's a good question, and obviously a central question. I'm, I've been around long enough to know that before I would answer that, I would like to know what the charges are, how former courts have looked at that section of the criminal code, you know, in other cases, and, and come to a, 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 a good faith uh, conclusion. I haven't yet had a chance to do that. You can imagine four hours of this yesterday. We haven't had a chance to really figure out what the next steps would be. Uh, I mean, we're, we're all just shaking our head in Ottawa. This is the 
the biggest bombshell since I became a member of parliament for sure. And, you know, some people are saying it should bring the government down. I think we need to hear the prime minister under oath at an inquiry telling his story. He's dismissing it, brushing it off as he's done four or five different ways since this, this thing broke. Let's hear from, let's hear from him and let's hear from um, the people like uh, Mr. Butts and, uh, and Ms. Telford and the, 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 the clerk of the Privy Council who already testified. Let's see if he uh, has a different account now that uh, she's given us texts and documents and emails and a thorough account of what she experienced. I want to hear what the other side says, and then we'll make some decisions. What would you like to leave us with? I'd like to leave you with hope. I'd like to let you know that we don't very often have situations like this. I don't want your listeners to somehow think I'm suggesting or that this leads us to think that our system of justice doesn't work. One of the things I take as a Canadian very, very, very seriously and makes me sleep better at night is we have a very fair, robust system of justice and we live in a system called rule of law. Once in a while we see problems and this one is exposed and we have to do something about it. But you know, don't ever take for granted the need for rule of law. Don't ever take for granted the need for an independent attorney general. These principles are worth fighting for. Vice Chair of the Commons Justice Committee, NDP MP, Murray Rankin. Then commentators and strategists, Jamie Ellerton and Patrick Gossage, as well as Anne Kingston, senior writer and columnist for McLean's, weighed in. It was explosive. It was jaw-dropping. It was, um, I think, brilliantly constructed on the part of the justice, uh, former justice minister. She cut to the chase. She said as much as she was allowed to say. She, I, I think, absolutely um, det- detonated uh, what had come before. So we're still, I, I'm still unpacking it, but I think uh, obviously it was, um, you know, a flamethrower uh, performance on her part. Yet, I mean, I say that at the same time, she was incredibly <laughs> judicious and measured um, in in her in both her statement and uh, the th- the three hours of questioning that followed it before Justice Committee. Okay, Patrick, you jumped in there. How bad is this for the Liberals? Well, I think you know it's a it's it's bad in that it's really and i think Anne would agree on this this, this isn't a big legal fight this is a fight about the image of truth mm-hmm. and Absolutely. what he stands for and whether he can recover with his image so badly uh so badly burned with the flamethrower i like that so badly flamed and burned and charred by a woman who happens to be an aboriginal as well who you know was harassed and threatened, according to her testimony. And it's just, it's like everything he doesn't stand for. And while no law was broken, I think we have to remember that. And while uh, Lavalin is still being prosecuted, I mean, she did not change her mind. Maybe the new guy will. We'll see about that. That's something we could talk about, maybe. But anyway, while, while you know, the, the prosecution continues and she did not change her mind, uh, you know, Trudeau's image has taken a huge hit, and I, I really have been trying to think if I was advising him what I'd tell him to do, but so far he hasn't really done much to show any empathy or sympathy for this woman that clearly has, you know, has won the sympathy of a lot of Canadians, that's for sure. Jamie Ellerton, Andrew Shear, head of the Conservatives, called on Trudeau to resign. Is that jumping the gun a little bit? 
I'm not sure it's necessarily jumping the gun. There was a lot that came out yesterday as a part of Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony uh, that I think leaves a lot of questions to be answered and really speaks to the core of how this government operates. I think one of the things that's been crystal clear over the past few weeks in the Prime Minister's response is they don't think they've done anything wrong. And so if you look at the facts as we know them and the sequence of events, SNC-Lavalin successfully lobbied to have deferred prosecution agreements, criminal code amendments put into last year's budget bill. They didn't end up getting the prosecution agreement, and you saw a four-month campaign with uh, over 20 meetings and phone calls, specifically targeting the Attorney General, trying to get her to change her mind from the Prime Minister's office, the Prime Minister, uh, the Clerk of the Privy Council, Minister Morneau's office was the new development yesterday, and other staffers within this government uh, to try and get her to bend, and she didn't waver. And so for Canadians, I think there's a really clear question is, did something wrong go on here? Yes or no? And I think most Canadians think that something has gone on here and that something needs to change. And I think if you look at the way that they've gone about it and the kind of like one rules for the connected liberal insiders and one rules for everyone else dynamic that's coming out of this, uh, this really goes to the core of the government's moral authority and their ability to govern. And I do think it's not necessarily jumping the gun uh, for Andrew Scheer to call on the prime minister to resign. Patrick, what would you like to leave us with? I'll be really interested to see what happens in caucus next week and cabinet. I mean, I think this is, they're going to, we're going to see divisions. We won't hear about them, but we'll certainly see them. I mean, um, Christia Freeland uh, said that she spoke the truth today. She's quoted as saying that. I mean, you cannot, you, you can't really, you know, put down this woman's testimony. It was unbelievable and it was credible and incredibly principled and moral and, uh, you know, you can't, it, that's hard to fight. So let's, let's just see what happens and, and see if the new, uh, attorney general bends to the pressure. That's the next, that's the next shoe to drop in my view. Uh, Jamie, your final thought on this? Yeah, there are plenty of unanswered questions and are even more to be asked after Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony. This goes to the heart of Canadian democracy and the political accountability and how our system functions. And I think unless the prime minister can decisively and convincingly answer these questions, he ought to do the best thing for the country rather than the Liberal Party and just get out of the way. And give you the last word on this. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I, I agree with uh, with what's been said. It's a watch and wait uh, situation right now. Uh, uh, but I also think it's interesting. Um, yesterday, Jody Wilson-Raybould said, you know, at one point, my narrative ends here, referring to um, the fact that she there are certain things Waver didn't allow her to say about being in Veterans Affairs or her resignation. And I think that in an interesting way, when I heard that, I thought not even not even beginning. I think that we're going to see the spotlight put on her, and it's going to recast a lot of other things in the process. That was Ann Kingston, senior writer and columnist for McLean's, as well as commentators and strategists Jamie Ellerton and Patrick Gossage. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick for Jane Brown. For years, the Canadian government has avoided the question of what to do with returning ISIS fighters and their families. As many as 5,000 alleged ISIS fighters and their families are being held in makeshift prisons over in Syria. If suspected terrorists are returned to Canada, prosecuting them for their actions overseas presents significant challenges. Libby speaks with security analyst Ross McLean as well as Phil Gursky of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting. My understanding is that under the Charter that if Canadians are abroad, uh, they have a right to return. These are Canadian citizens, and so if they make their way home, we have no choice but to admit them because they're Canadian. But I agree with the Minister, Libby, that I don't think we need to move heaven and earth to do so. 
people have said there's been a moral obligation to do so. I'm not so sure on that. And I think I feel the way a lot of Canadians feel, that these people made their beds and it's time to lie in it. And my bottom line is that the crimes they committed were committed over there. And who are we as Canadians to demand that they be returned and not face justice in the country where their crimes were committed? Ross, where do you stand on this? There's obviously the uh, emotional and moral feeling that, as you said, they made their bed, they can lie in it and let them deal with it and do nothing to help them. However, we do have... It's not as simple as that, I believe, for dealing with it. I, I, it's clear that our laws are not set up to deal with these sort of situations uh, and our obligations. However, I think what we should be doing is perhaps coming up with some uh, new laws or new acts, not necessarily under the criminal code. I don't think that's the right place for it, uh, for dealing with these people. Because the, the frank problem is they're a problem. And maybe Canada has to clean them up. Otherwise, they're going to be somewhere else. If it's our mess then maybe we need to clean it up. But we need to do it in a way that's consistent with how the public wants to have it dealt with. One of the things is uh, that we've had a number of cases of returning fighters, and we're not that good at prosecuting them. It seems to be that the focus of the government is to try to turn them around. So why should we bring them back here where they might remain a danger? I mean, the thing that floored me about some of these women is that they won't say that they regret anything that they've done, except for maybe one of them. Well, I think there's a reason why they're not saying they regret it, because they, they don't really regret it. And, you know, the, the, the reasoning that I have heard, I've seen reporting, and maybe Phil can confirm this, that the government has been talking about, well, look, it's very complex and resource intensive to do these uh, prosecutions to deal with these people. So they're sort of using the it's uh, too complex and it costs too much to deal with it. But look, there's an obligation here, same as the Simon Wiesenthal Center went through hunting down Nazis. These are people who are involved in the most heinous of crimes. And there's just no excuse not to have the resources or the time to deal with this correctly rather than let it sit out there. This is a real, I think, a real eyesore on civilization for the world. Is there a distinction Phil, between the combatants and what I saw cleverly uh, described as the ladies' auxiliary. The problem is, can you build a case in Canada under the criminal code? Now, actually, it seems at one level pretty simplistic that, and, and fairly obvious that they did leave the country to join a terrorist group. That's an offense under the criminal code. To prove anything beyond that, you have to have evidence from the field. So were they just, you know... Were they lookers? Were they what I call walkers or talkers? Well, they clearly walked, you know, they got their way over there, but did they take part in any kind of heinous crimes? We don't know that, and that's really hard to do. There's material support. That's more of an American term of use here in Canada. There are things we can charge them with, but it is labor-intensive. And I think one of the fears is, is that there's no guarantee that even those who claim they have, you know, recanted or, you know, admitted the error of their ways, that they can, in fact, act as radicalizers down the road. So I think this is a really complicated issue. I don't think there's any easy answer for the government on this one. And I, I think we all know five years from now, we're going to face a lawsuit from one of these people saying, you didn't help me, and I was held in horrendous conditions in Syria and Iraq, and I'm going to sue you for a whole bunch of money. I think one of the other reasons we have to bear in mind, this is an election year. And, uh, you know, Libby and I, you and I have talked about the Omar Cotter case last time I was on the program, and the government really took it hard when uh, they paid all the money to Omar Carter. You think the Trudeau liberals want to bring back people that are, that are terrorists and who have burned their passports and hate our country in an election year? They're, they're, they're ragging the puck on this one. They're kicking the can down the road and hoping it goes away. Phil, I think you uh, really uh, 
hit it on the head when you talk about bringing them back in an election year, because at the end of the day, if we're talking about the ISIS brides, it's it's a handful of women, but but it would just create a huge amount of anger. Uh, Ross, what do you say about that? I think we need a new court to deal with international crimes. Uh, you know, in this day and age, there's a lot of them going on from the SNC Lavalin right to these uh, ISIS brides and everybody else. When you commit crimes internationally, overseas, as a Canadian, uh, we need to have the proper laws and the courts to deal with them in, in an efficient way. That was Libby speaking with security expert Ross McLean, preceded by Phil Gursky of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting. You're listening to the best of Fight Back. I'm Bob Comsick in for Jane Brown. Lacking a voice in Parliament since becoming party leader about 18 months ago, federal New Democrat Jugmeet Singh secured a much-needed seat in the Commons with his crucial by-election victory in B.C.'s Burnaby South riding. In another by-election, the New Democrats were defeated in Outremont, Montreal area riding held since 2007 by former party leader Tom Mulcair as the Liberals reclaimed that seat while the Conservatives easily hung on to the riding of York Simcoe. Commentators and strategists John McAtishan and Tom Parkin shared their thoughts with Libby. I think the overall message for Singh last night was uh, uh, he was probably got the most positive. I mean, personally, he won. That was a big deal. Uh, You know, for the last four or five months, uh, you know, to be admitted into the pundit class, you pretty much had to say that uh, Singh was never going to win this thing, and he was going to lose, and then he was going to lose. It was all down, down, down. Um, and a lot of people, obviously, in the pundit class uh, should have handed in their, their membership card last night, because the guy won with 40%. So now the story has shifted. Uh, we're on to the story about uh, Outremont, because uh, because he did surprise people. He, he, he got the victory that he said he was going to get. Uh, now, So now the story shifts to Outremont, which is a, a challenge. Now, Never before, uh, outside of Tom Mulcair's years, has the NDP done as well as they did last night in Outremont. They didn't win. They got 26% of the vote. Uh, that shows that they got some work to do, but at least they have something to build on. And this is going to be the big challenge for Singh now. He's got to pivot to Quebec. He's got to rebuild those connections. He's been busy out in the west coast of Canada for months now. Uh, he hasn't even been outside of uh, Vancouver for, for two months. He's been locally campaigning. So now he's got to turn his attention. He'll be heading there next week. There are issues uh, on which he can connect. The issue of environmentalism, making our climate goals, pipelines that connectors by and large do not agree with. Uh, there's the issue of uh, cultural, uh, uh, you know, uh, cultural industries, Netflix taxation, not, not such a big issue in Ontario, but in Quebec it is actually quite the burner. Uh, and, you know, this whole SNC-Lavalin uh, scandal uh, has come into the, the Quebec political culture, and it, it, uh, it points to, um, I, I think, you know, a debate which will be quite interesting for him to enter into, and generally for the Democrats to enter into, about the issue of liberal corruption and uh, with powerful corporations in Montreal. And, and if, uh, whether whether people are people are supportive of that in Montreal, I think not. I think they're probably rather fed up with that being the narrative about their city. I'd like to bring in John McAtishan. How do you read the NDP's prospects now that Jagmeet Singh has won? And what are they up against in Quebec, where they now have 15 seats? But, uh, you know, it doesn't look good going forward. Well, I think it's last night was good news, bad news for him. The uh, good news was that he didn't lose. 
And the bad news was that he won. Or did he? When you look at the results and you look at the, how well the NDP uh, did, uh, only because the Greens weren't there. If the Greens had been any kind of factor at all, he might not have won. And that's where the, you know, the only place where the People's Party uh, showed sign of a heartbeat. If they hadn't been running a candidate and the Greens had, there's a good chance that Jagmeet would have lost to a conservative. When you look at his performance since he's become leader, he has been abysmal on almost every single uh, policy, on every statement he's made, on his public speaking. The route forward for them is pretty clear. The, the big question is, can he can Jagmeet execute? And now we're going to find out because there is nothing more grilling than Ottawa's media. I mean, we, we have a scrum that will eat you up every single day. And he's going to, he can't hide from it. He's going to be there now and he's either going to flourish or he's going to be dead within two months. You can make the argument that, uh, at 40%, uh, the liberals had their uh, second biggest, uh, corruption scandal, uh, validated as something that, uh, isn't, nobody's upset about in Quebec. So I, I don't think we want to drive that conclusion, but I'm, uh, but it gives you pause that you could go there because ha- almost half the voters voted liberal despite the biggest uh, corruption scandal in, you know, since the last big liberal scandal. Those were political commentators, strategists John McAtishan and Tom Parkin on Jugmeet Singh's by-election victory. I'm Bob Comstock for Jane Brown, and you're listening to The Best of Fight Back. Fight Back with Libby's Nimer brings you comprehensive coverage of the news stories that interest you and your reaction to them on the phones. We've gone through the audio, and here are some of the best calls of the week. Despite a major health care announcement from the province, the SNC-Lavalin affair and Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony before the Commons Justice Committee remain the focus of attention for our callers. Christine from Toronto spoke of potential job losses at the Montreal engineering giant. They need to remember how many people Lavalin employs. I think that's what Trudeau's been trying to balance out. He doesn't want the company to somehow go under and lose a lot of jobs for people. It just doesn't seem to be part of the discussion. It's more a gossip item. Bob and Etobicoke questioned the job loss argument. I know it's extremely important. Uh, I can understand them trying to protect the jobs. I just checked that the value of stock has gone down over $5 billion. But going about it the way they did was totally wrong, totally wrong. But he did it the wrong way because I don't consider him to be very, a very smart man at all in any way. Tony in Niagara expressing some strong feelings about the Liberal government in light of Jody Wilson-Raybould's testimony. Trudeau should resign, step down. It was very terrible what she did to that woman there. These liberals are a bunch of thugs, and it's a fake government. They promised us everything. They gave us nothing. And I just can't understand why the RCMP hasn't investigated already, or have they? I can't believe this government could do this to us. Like, this is not the Canada of yesterday. Like, it's all changed the way it looks. And thank God there are people like Mrs. Jody that are around to fight for us. And now... Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week comes from Betty in Kitchener, 
outspoken in her support of Jody Wilson-Raybould. I believe that um, Trudeau really underestimated Jody when he put her in that position. He probably figured, oh, she's Aboriginal background. She'll be so happy. She, you know, we'll be able to meld her, which is basically the way the white man has fought for since they came over. Well, you know, we can control these Indians is sort of was their thinking. And I think he misjudged her, and I am so proud of her that she stood up and that she has ethics. And, uh, you know, uh, it's what always happens to the whistleblowers. You know, we go after them, and we uh, they end up losing. And, uh, you know, kudos to her. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us from noon to one weekdays at 416-360-0740 on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, also 96.7 FM downtown. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightbackatzoomer.ca and follow us on Twitter at FightbackLibby. I'm Bob Comsick in for Jane Brown. Join us again tomorrow, same time, for the rest of the best of Fight Back. You've been listening to the best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio with guest host Bob Comsick. Produced for MZ Media Limited by Jane Brown, Michelle Saunders, Justin Eacock, and Kelly Robotham. Executive producer Moses Neimer. 